If you tune into ABC News Radio uh, on a weekday morning at, I think, 8.30, uh, 9 o'clock in Canberra, you'll hear the members of Parliament speaking the words of the Lord's Prayer. I find that remarkable. In a country that is so proudly secular, where it seems to be generally accepted that religion has no place in public life, the Parliament begins each day in prayer. Now, I don't know how many of the MPs are actually praying or even understand what they're saying, but it is remarkable nonetheless. If you look around the world, pretty much everyone prays at one time or another, from the Muslim repeating ritual prayers to Allah five times a day, to the Buddhist meditating silently on their own inner being. You'll even find atheists praying. So often when crisis hits, people instinctively call out to God, don't they? Regardless of what they say, they believe. But what is distinctive about Christian prayer? Today, we've been given a free ticket to the ultimate masterclass on prayer. Our teacher is Jesus, and we're looking at the model prayer that he gave his followers. The Lord's Prayer sits right at the centre of Jesus' famous teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is a unique teacher when it comes to the subject of prayer, because he is not only the God to whom we pray, He is also a fellow prayer who teaches us out of his lived experience. Now we're looking at Matthew's Gospel, uh, chapter 6. Where the Lord's Prayer comes in Luke's Gospel is quite striking. The disciples ask, Lord, teach us to pray. And in response, Jesus doesn't give them a theology of prayer. He gives them a prayer to pray. They ask, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus says, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, and so on. We learn to pray as we pray. Like learning to drive. Um, My daughter Darcy's in her first week on her L's. And when you're learning to drive, theory is great. You've got to pass the theory test. But what you really need is as behind the wheel. Or like learning to swim. At some point, you've got to get wet, haven't you? So with prayer, we learn to pray as we pray. And this is the prayer Jesus told us to pray. It's the model Christian prayer. If we ignore it, which I think sadly many Christians do, we're like people passing by a gold mine without ever bothering to go in and dig out its riches. Now, we have not got time in one uh, Sunday morning sermon to mine those riches. But this morning, what I want us to do is take a step back. Uh, we, We could go through the prayer line by line, think about what each point means. That would be a good thing to do. But today I want to step back and ask, what does this teach us about Christian prayer? And I think the big idea that comes through is that prayer is both the expression of our relationship with God and the means by which that relationship grows. Think about a marriage relationship. The way a couple talk to each other or don't talk to each other expresses something of the nature of their relationship, doesn't it? It's also the way that that relationship grows. 
So with prayer and our relationship with God. So what is the nature of our relationship with God? This prayer will reveal what that is and will give us the means to grow in it. Used rightly, this prayer will change us. It will form us as people who have a vibrant, life-giving relationship with God, people of joy and trust and humility and strength. So three points to guide us through this morning. Firstly, the nature of Christian prayer. Secondly, the expression of Christian prayer. What, what does it look like? And thirdly, the key to Christian prayer. The nature, the expression and the key. Firstly, the nature of Christian prayer. Speaking to our Father. We're so familiar with it, but the first words of Jesus' prayer are dynamite. Our Father. In verses 5 to 9, Jesus tells us two ways we are not to pray. He says, don't be like the hypocrites, verse 5. Then don't be like the pagans, verse 7. Instead, verse 9, we're to pray to our Father in heaven. So we'll look at those two negative forms of prayer and contrast them with Christian prayer. Firstly, don't pray like the hypocrites. God is your reward. Let me read verses five to six again. Jesus says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Now, when the word that Jesus uses for hypocrite is the same word for an actor. Jesus is talking here about people who use prayer. They, they use it to get the respect and admiration of other people. They want the applause for the good show that they're putting on. They want to be seen. So they stand in the synagogues. They stand on the street corners. That's the reward that they seek. For these people, prayer is a means to get something. Respect, admiration, power. Jesus says, in contrast, true Christian prayer seeks to know God. That's the reward I think he's talking about. Time spent in prayer to God is not a means to an end. The the prayer, the time with God is itself the reward. I mean, imagine asking a wife, why do you spend time talking to your husband? And she says, oh yeah, I, I do it to win the respect of my neighbours, so they think I'm a good wife. You'd think, excuse me? I mean, the reason for talking to your spouse is because you love them. You enjoy them. You want to know them better. You want to sustain and nurture that relationship. So with prayer and our relationship with God, the reward of prayer is the relationship. Jesus encourages us here to pray privately in secrets. I don't think he's saying that's the only way to pray. Corporate prayer is also encouraged. Please don't stop coming to the church prayer meeting. But what Jesus says here does challenge our motivation. Do we only pray when there's the reward of being seen and admired by others? Or do we pray simply because we want more of God? Tim Keller says in his wonderful book called Prayer, 
Christians pray not primarily to get things from God, but to get God himself. God is the greatest reward of prayer. So don't pray like the hypocrites. God is your reward. Secondly, don't pray like the pagans. God is your gracious father. Let me read again verses 7 to 8. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Jesus says, pagans babble. It's a word that means empty repetition. They think they'll be heard because of their many words. Pagan prayer is a technique, a way of trying to get God to do what you want, a way of controlling God. And that, I think, is the similarity between the two examples Jesus gives. Hypocritical prayer tries to control other people and get what you want from them, their respect, admiration. Pagan prayer tries to control God, to get him to give you what you want. If I pray in this way, with for this amount of time, with this level of fervency, then God has to answer me. The prime example of this is the prophets of Baal. Remember 1 Kings 17, Elijah sets up the challenge to see who is the true God. And the prophets of Baal cry out incessantly. They they cut themselves, they dance around, they shout and scream, but nothing happens. Elijah taunts them. Maybe Baal's busy. Maybe he's uh, gone on a journey. Maybe he's relieving himself in the gents. In this view of prayer, my relationship with God, whether he hears me and blesses me, is based on my performance, the intensity of my prayers. Jesus says true Christian prayer is different. It's the expression of a relationship with God as Father, a relationship based not on my performance, but on his grace, a relationship that he initiated and sustains. We reach out to him Because he has reached down to us. He is kind and gentle and utterly perfectly committed to us, his children. There has never been a human father more committed to his child's good than your father in heaven is committed to your goods. Now, when Jesus says your father knows what you need before you ask him, we could conclude, well, then why bother praying? And the answer is, again, because prayer is the expression of our relationship, the expression of our dependence. We pray not to educate God, but to enjoy him, to express our trust in him, our trust that he will hear us and answer us in his wisdom and love. Richard Cokin says in his brilliant book on the Lord's Prayer, This little opening phrase contains all the motivation we need to pray. Like two Rolls-Royce jet engines strapped to a Ford Escort, the little words, Our Father, are packed with power to launch us towards God in prayer. I'm convinced that most of our problem with prayer originates from a failure to comprehend these two little words. So don't pray like the hypocrites, God is your reward. Don't pray like the pagans, God is our gracious Father. Secondly, the expression of true prayer. Praising, trusting and asking. These are three components 
of true prayer. Praise, adoration, trust, submission, ask, request, petition. We'll think about each in turn. Firstly, praise. It is striking that the first half of the Lord's Prayer is all about God. After the opening address, our Father in heaven, there are six parts to the prayer. The first three are about God's glory, his name, his kingdom, his will. The second three are about our needs for provision, pardon and protection. But the first half is all about God. Tim Keller again says, there's nothing you need more than to not look at your needs. Let me say that again. There's nothing you need more than to not look at your needs. It's quite striking, isn't it? The first thing we're told to do to pray is, hallowed be your name. Hallowed means holy. We're praying here for God to be honoured and praised as the holy God that he is. And that starts, of course, with us giving him the honour and praise he deserves. Jesus is inviting us here to, to plunge ourselves into the glory of God, to think about who he is in his magnificent perfection until our hearts are captured by his excellence and our hearts are drawn to praise. What does this tell us about our relationship with God? It tells us that it's not just about getting stuff from him. It's about enjoying him. Praise is the expression of our relationship with the God who made us and saved us and is perfect in every way. And praise is the means actually by which our relationship with God grows. As you praise God, your love for him will grow. Your trust in him will grow. Your longing for him to be honoured by others will grow. This is the biggest lesson for me from this, um, from looking at the Lord's Prayer again. It's something I'm trying to include more in my prayer. If you came to the prayer meeting uh, last week, you'll know we, we started that time with an extended period of praise. Keller reports in his book that after teaching on the need to spend time in praise before getting to our list of needs, one woman took it to heart and a few weeks later reported on the difference it had made in her life. She said this, When I used to go straight to my prayer list and the problems I was facing and the needs that I had, I would end up actually feeling more anxious and burdened. But now that I start with praise and spend time telling myself and God how good he is. I find when I get to my needs, I can put them in his hands and feel the burden coming off me. So we start with praise, adoration. Secondly, trust, submission. It's easy to think, okay, I'm done with praise. Now, give me, give me, give me. But there's a step in between. I'm not allowed to pray, give me my daily bread, until I've prayed, your will be done. I'm not allowed to say, I need these things, before I acknowledge that God knows what I need. Again, it comes back to the nature of our relationship. Children learn at a fairly young age to ask their parents nicely for things. They learn the magic words, please can I have? It's relatively easy to learn. What's much harder 
is learning to trust when their parents say no. Meltdowns, tantrums are common. Why? Because the child thinks they know better than their parent what will be good for them. The parent says, you can trust me. I love you. I know what's best for you. You're asking really nicely, but I'm not going to give that to you because it will electrocute you and you'll die. When we get anxious about life, when we complain about how things are going, we are like spiritual five-year-olds throwing a tantrum because we think we know better than God. Jesus invites us to lay this crushing burden down and to pray, Father, your will be done. To get in touch with God's greatness, his far superior knowledge and wisdom, and to trust him. You can see again how different this is to pagan prayer. Pagan prayer tries to control God, get him to give me what I want. Christian prayer is an expression of relationship with God, a a relationship of surrender and trust. God is my father. He loves me. I can trust him. True prayer is about saying, I don't know. I can't see what you see. And so I'm praying your will be done. I'll ask for what I think I need and I know you'll give it if it's good for me, but ultimately I'm praying your will be done. And as we pray this way, can you see we'll become more trusting, less worried, less anxious, less bitter. The third component of Jesus' model prayer is asking. Now, asking God for things is again an expression of our relationship with him. We need him, don't we? We need him every hour. And he is the giver of all good gifts. And asking God for things grows our relationship with him. It grows us as people who share his priorities and concerns. There's plenty to ask for. We see in the Lord's Prayer that that firstly, we'll pray for kingdom concerns. We pray, hallowed be your name. We pray, your kingdom come. So pray for King Jesus to return. Pray, come Lord Jesus, establish your kingdom in fullness. Pray for people to come into God's kingdom now to receive Jesus as their king and saviour. Pray for the progress of the gospel in your community and nation and across the world. Pray for your church to grow as a true reflection and foretaste of God's kingdom. Pray against poverty and injustice and disease. Secondly, we pray for daily provision. Give us today our daily bread. We pray for health and strength in the work we do. Pray for wisdom in decision making, for love and grace in relationships. And pray for joy in the blessings that he supplies. And thirdly, we pray for spiritual needs. We pray for forgiveness for sins we've committed and grace to forgive those who've wronged us. We pray for help in temptations that we encounter, for strength in trials that we face, for protection from physical danger and spiritual attack. Let me ask you, is this how you pray? Do you take time to enjoy God in praise and adoration? Do you pray your will be done, surrendering to God's wisdom and entrusting yourself to his sovereign goodness? And do you ask, sharing in God's kingdom concerns 
and relying on him for daily needs. If you do, then you will be transformed. You will slowly become a new person. A person with a joyful love for God, a deep trust in his goodness, a person of humility and confidence, a person free from worry and bitterness, a forgiving person, a kingdom person. The prayer that Jesus gives us is the expression of relationship with God as Father. If my prayer life doesn't reflect Jesus' prayer, then it probably says something about my relationship with God, or at least how I conceive of it. And while this prayer is the means by which I can grow in that relationship with God, I also need something else. I need the assurance of the gospel. And so thirdly and finally and briefly, the key to Christian prayer is knowing the God who prays. Christianity tells us of a God who humbled himself and became a man so that he himself needed to pray. This isn't just the prayer that Jesus tells us to pray. This is largely the prayer he prayed. Particularly at the end of his life, we see Jesus praying this prayer, praying for God to be glorified, surrendering himself to the Father's will. Take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Asking for forgiveness for those who wronged him, those executing him. Of course, Jesus never had to seek forgiveness for his own sins. He had none. But he did seek forgiveness for ours. It was, in a sense, the whole purpose of his life. Give him the name Jesus, said the angel at his birth, because he will save his people from their sins. In his death on the cross, Jesus endured the full punishment that our sins deserve, so that you and I could be utterly sure of God's forgiveness, utterly sure that there is now no condemnation. Jesus is the one who lived out the relationship that this prayer expresses, a relationship of love and trust with his Father. Yet on the cross, Jesus experienced what it was to be cut off from his Father. He suffered the punishment we deserve so that we could enjoy the relationship with God that he deserves. He experienced what it was to be rejected so that we could have the assurance of knowing our Father will never, ever turn his face away. And so in Jesus, we see a God we can trust. A God so committed to our good, he was willing to endure the cross. And it's as we fix our eyes on Jesus that our hearts are drawn and our lips are opened to praise him, to surrender our lives to him, and to bring our requests before him. As we finish, I'm going to lead us in prayer. I'm going to pray the Lord's Prayer line by line. And I'll pause between each line just for a few seconds so that you can echo the prayer in your heart and expand on it with your own prayers of praise and trust and request. So let's bow our heads, shall we? And I'll lead us.
our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen.